This is Business Breakdowns. Business Breakdowns is a series of conversations with investors and operators diving deep into a single business. For each business, we explore its history, its business model, its competitive advantages, and what makes it tick. We believe every business has lessons and secrets that investors and operators can learn from, and we are here to bring them to you. To find more episodes of Breakdowns, check out joincolossus.com. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions. Hosts, podcast guests, their employers, or affiliates may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. This is Zach Fuss, investor at Arenic Capital. And today, we're breaking down Arkea Energy. Arkea is one of the largest and fastest growing providers of renewable natural gas in the U.S. The company uses methane produced by landfills as its feedstock to create renewable electricity and natural gas. To break down Arkea, I'm joined by Chad Garcia. Chad is lead portfolio manager of the Ave Maria Focus Fund and co-portfolio manager of the Ave Maria Growth Fund. You may have seen Arkea in the news this week, as on Monday, BP announced a deal to buy Arkea for $4.1 billion. We recorded this on Friday before this news broke. The bulk of our discussion, therefore, does not touch on BP. It serves as an explanation for what BP has bought and why they found it to be an attractive asset. At the end of our conversation, we asked Chad for his quick reaction to the news. Please enjoy this business breakdown of Arkea Energy. So Chad, thank you for joining us to break down Arkea. I'm very excited about this one. It's a fascinating business in that it's an innovative way to attack a problem in the legacy industry. So I think a good place to kick things off would be to explain what landfill gas is and how it's been dealt with historically and what new companies are doing with it today. For municipal solid waste, so the waste that households and businesses throw away and is collected and put into a landfill, that waste contains organic matter. And when organic matter breaks down, landfill gas, often referred to as biogas, is produced and released into the atmosphere. The composition of landfill gas is roughly 50% methane, 35% carbon dioxide, 15% oxygen, and then a handful of other volatile organic compounds. Landfill gas presents two problems for operators of landfills. First, methane is a greenhouse gas. It's the second most abundant greenhouse gas. However, it is 25 times more potent than carbon dioxide, the leading greenhouse gas, in retaining heat within the atmosphere. So methane release raw has a very negative effect on global warming. The second issue that it presents for landfill operators is that methane has a foul odor. So if you ever have driven by a landfill and smelled a foul odor, it's the methane that you're smelling. Landfills have dealt with this historically by either capturing the methane and flaring it, for which they receive no economic value, but when they flare it, it turns the methane into carbon dioxide and water which eliminates the odor issue and transfers it from a potent greenhouse gas to a less potent greenhouse gas. Or they have captured the landfill gas and turn it into electricity by burning it in generators on site. 
And that electricity, they have historically either used on site for whatever minor needs they have or sold it into a local grid. Companies that are coming along now are taking the landfill gas and filtering it to isolate the methane in such a degree of purity that the methane can be sold into natural gas pipelines. If you look at the problems that Arkea solves, first, it eliminates the foul odor associated with landfills. It generates a less harmful greenhouse gas that's released into the atmosphere. It generates substantial economic value for Arkea as well as the landfill operators if they're able to process the landfill gas and turn it into methane. Before we get into the details, can you give us just a snapshot of what Arkea's business is today? What does their economic profile look like? And maybe some sense of scale through maybe their production volumes, et cetera. The business is growing rapidly. Last year, they generated on a gap basis $195 million of revenue. And with that revenue, they generated $76 million of EBITDA. They should in 2022 with $370 million of revenue and 143-ish of EBITDA. And the maintenance CapEx is is fairly de minimis, so about 5% of of EBITDA. So EBITDA is very close to being an unlevered free cash flow number. And then as that relates to like the breakouts of their business, about 87% of their revenue is generated within RNG, or gas to electricity production with a handful amounts of other revenue and, and fees coming in. So on our keys volumes, so doing 10 to 11 million million BTUs in 2022, the supply of all RNG at the end of 21 was around 75 million million BTUs. And then if you look at the 10 announced projects to that where organizations are voluntarily increasing their RNG demand, that number is around 2.4 times the 2021 production. To give you some perspective on how big of player Arkea is and then how rapidly the the demand for landfill gas is growing. That's a super helpful summation. Maybe if we zoom out a little bit, because I'm not sure that everybody fully appreciates the waste hauling value chain. So effectively, if I'm a business or a private citizen, I pay for someone to come pick up my trash. That trash goes to a landfill and most people don't know what happens with it. Can you start from a residence or a commercial building? I'm paying a collection company. They're putting the trash in a landfill. Who owns the landfill? How do they get paid? How does everyone make money? And where does the value capture sit within this ecosystem? Let's just be clear that the type of waste that we're dealing with here is municipal waste. And so waste from businesses and restaurants and homes and apartments and condos as opposed to industrial waste. And while that's important to our analyzing our Kia is that industrial waste is not going to have as much or any organic matter. And it's the organic matter and the organic matter breaking down that creates the landfill gas opportunity. And so 
if looking at municipal waste in the U.S. or at least North America, the way that it works is that typically a municipality, a city or a county will enter into a contract with a waste hauler. These contracts can be three to five years. They'll have a fixed price component with some variability for CPI. So there's inflation kickers in there for the waste haulers. And either the municipality will pay the waste company directly and charge residents a tax, or they would just set up the the contract. The resident would call the, the waste hauler and sign up for service and, and be billed directly. Businesses such as a restaurant would call up the waste hauler in their area and sign up. These contracts can be more on a month to month basis and they would be charged based on how many pickups there would be in a, a given time period, such as a, a week. Those contracts are a much more shorter duration. The one little different model would be in rural communities on the West Coast in the US. I think these communities had, and I'm going and going back decades, 50 years or so, they had a hard time attracting landfill operators and waste haulers of scale. And so in order to attract large companies to come in and service their smaller communities, they had to establish franchises or government mandated monopolistic contracts. And for whatever reason, those contracts and franchises are still in force today. So if you look into the the Western US, there's these there's these great businesses where you have a, a government mandated monopoly. That's how the waste industry is set up. In North America, the landfills are typically owned by either the waste hauling company that has the contract for a municipal area to collect and dispose of the waste, or it's owned by a municipality. And the waste haulers then contract with the municipality to dump the garbage in the municipality's landfill. They pay what's called tipping fees. Either option can be beneficial for the waste hauling industry. If you own landfill, that gives you a bit of an economic moat. You have the low cost business in the area, given that you own the landfill. But if a municipality owns it, that can be beneficial too, because you have less capital deployed. So it can be a high return business, just the collection and disposal part of it. Now that we have a better appreciation for how the trash gets to the landfill, I think the next natural question is, how are you taking something that's perceived to be worthless and making money off of it? There are a couple of ways that the demand for landfill gas was generated. Let's first start with the Renewable Fuel Standards Program, which was created under the Energy Policy Act of 2005. The EPA mandated that a certain amount of transportation fuel needs to be generated with renewable fuels. And the way that they track that is by renewable identification numbers. In the industry, they just call it RINs. There's different types of RINs. D3 RINs are the highest level, and that's the RIN that landfill gas is eligible to receive. When a gallon of renewable fuel is created, it also creates a RIN, 
with it that can either be sold attached to the fuel or separated from the fuel and sold on its own. The transportation fuel providers ensure compliance with the Renewable Fuel Standards Program by buying fuel that has a REN attached to it or just by buying a REN on the open market. That creates value within the transportation fuel space. If you look at electricity producers that might use natural gas as a feedstock, several states or Canadian provinces may have state mandates that mandate a certain percentage of electricity consumption within their state or province be generated with renewable fuels. Like you see in the transportation space, you also have that mandated demand happening within the electricity generation space. Both of these are examples of where either a federal law or state or provincial law mandates the use of renewable natural fuels. Aside from that, you have a quasi-regulatory situation happening within the ESG space. There are organizations, companies, or quasi-governmental organizations such as the University of California Systems that either for ideological reasons or ESG compliance reasons have goals to reduce their scope one emissions or reduce their carbon footprint. And these organizations, if they have their own electricity producing assets, will buy renewable natural fuels to fuel them, or they will just buy the environmental attributes that are created when a renewable fuel is created. In order to reduce their carbon footprints and be in compliance with their self-imposed ESG goals. If you want to look at some examples of this, I was at a data center conference with a lot of the senior leaders and CEOs of the data center companies. I follow that space. Mark Ganzi, whom I believe you had on the podcast from Digital Rich, talked about being carbon neutral in their data center business by 2030. Well, how are they going to get to a carbon neutral status? They're going to do it by buying renewable natural fuels if they have their own electricity generating capacity or by just buying the attributes that are created when these renewable fuels are made. I am also reading Rubenstein's book, How to Invest, and in it, it covers an interview that he had in July of 21 with Jonathan Gray from Blackstone, and he's talking about their real estate business, and he said that every asset they have going forward, they're going to try to reduce the carbon footprint by 15%. There's certainly ways if you buy a building that you can reduce the carbon footprint by getting more efficient windows or by doing some work with the air conditioning system. But a lot of the ESG compliance that you're going to see is going to come from buying environmental attributes that are created when renewable fuels are made. While these programs are voluntary, they're kind of not. If the company comes out and says, here are our ESG goals that we're going to hold ourselves to, and they report them. I think the SEC is going to crack down on setting ESG standards and not living up to them. So there are multiple ways in revenue streams to monetize the ability to capture the methane gas and convert it for a company like Arkea. How is the company organized to capture and capitalize on such a rich opportunity set? Their main business is RNG, so renewable natural gas. Their second business is they have some legacy assets that are gas to electricity assets. I view those as if you use oil and gas parlance. In that industry, if you have an oil reserve and you find it and you drill it, you're not ready to fully exploit it. You might put a pump on there and pump out a small amount. And you do that to secure the lease. And it's called held by production. 
Arkea bought a business that was focused on gas and electricity. And what I see happening there is that over time, they'll convert those sites into RNG sites. But that doesn't mean that gas and electricity will go away. I think what they'll do is they'll capture the landfill gas, turn it into renewable natural gas, increase the value of that gas by creating the environmental attributes. And then what they'll do is they'll probably buy natural gas off the natural gas pipeline system, keep the electrical assets running on standard ground gas, and use those assets to hedge one of their largest expenses, which is electricity. From an energy standpoint, they're going to get revenue from their RNG projects, and then they're going to get revenue from any of the electrical assets. The third way that they make money is by building these projects on a landfill site and managing them. A lot of the way that they deal with a landfill operator would be to form a joint venture. And in the joint venture, Arkea and the landfill operator both contribute capital to the project. The JV would buy equipment from Arkea for which they'll make a margin. Arkea will manage the project on a go-forward basis for which they'll earn a fee. The landfill operator will receive earnings from their ownership stake in the JV, as well as an overriding royalty on every bit of landfill gas that's produced. Got it. How much visibility do they have into their business? I think of energy as something that's relatively volatile. I know that RINs move around, carbon credits, who knows? Can you tell me a bit about how they contracted and how they think about the ability to monetize some of these systems? Yeah, this is an interesting area for which they stand apart from the rest of the industry. One of their competitors has around 20% of their volume contracted out, which is pretty low. That's probably the highest amongst their competitors. Arkea currently contracts around 50% of their volume in long-term contracts, think 10 to 20 years, with credit-worthy blue-chip parties. That makes their revenue stream highly forecastable over the next decade or two. The rest of the volume, they sell on a highest and best use basis on the spot market. And so right now, a lot of the RNG that they produce is going into the transportation fuel market. But that could change with the changing environment for D3 RENs or for low carbon fuel standard credits. Probably a good chance to expand a bit on how the value of RINs is derived as a function of the renewable fuel standard. My understanding is that the EPA sets these limits every year, but how do they think about the amount of RINs that are produced? Well, the EPA sets the volume of fuel that has to be derived from renewable energy. Each gallon creates a RIN, and then the RIN trades on its own market. If a new type of fuel is developed, then it will increase the supply of D3 RINs. Obviously, the amount of fuel that the government sets that must be made with renewable fuel every year is going to drive the demand part of the D3 RINs as well. As you said, that market can be quite volatile. Presently, a D3 RIN is trading for $2.50. When you convert that to million BTUs, which is how natural gas is traded and priced, that value of a RIN is $29.32 per million BTU, which is pretty substantial given that the spot market for natural gas is around $6. So this is probably a good segue to better understand if you can walk us through the economics of perhaps a single site, if they were to take their product to a landfill and also lay out what it looks like. Like, am I looking at a power plant? How exactly do you capture the gas from an outdoor trash dump? 
once a waste hauler picks up garbage from a, a residence or a community, they take it to a landfill. Landfill is either owned by the waste management company themselves or by a governmental entity. And it's basically a hole in the ground where, where the waste is dumped into. And what they do is they line the bottom of the landfill with a, a PVC type material. They dump the waste on top of that material. And then they'll, after they've accumulated a certain level, they'll, they'll line it again and they'll just keep putting layers and layers of these cells into a landfill. The cells are there to prevent leakage from the waste into the, the groundwater. And then any rain that, that gets dumped on, onto the landfill will get channeled into a receptacle and collected. And then that, they call it leachate, that, that rainwater mixed with the items in the dump would get, subsequently get cleaned. It can either be cleaned on site or through dehydrating the, uh, the water and disposing of the, of the leftover solids, or it can be sent to a municipality's disposal water facility. The landfill gas is collected by wells that are drilled both vertically and horizontally into landfills, and the pipes are inserted, and that collects the, the landfill gas for, for processing. In the first year of a, of, a, of a landfill's operation, there's not that much landfill gas that is produced because the organic material goes through an aerobic breakdown. So the oxygen is in place. After about a year, an anaerobic breakdown of the organic matter occurs where bacteria that operate in an anaerobic manner start to process the organic compounds. And that's what creates methane and some of the other greenhouse gases that comprises landfill gas. So to, to put it in perspective, what kind of problem this is for, for landfills, municipal solid waste in the U.S. accounts for 14.5% of human-related greenhouse gas emissions. The methane emissions from municipal solid waste landfills are equal to about 20 million passenger vehicles driven for one year or CO2 emissions from powering 12 million homes energy use for one year. So when landfill gas is, is, is collected, assuming it's going to be turned into RNG, what happens first is that it goes through a, a primary treatment. And in the primary treatment, moisture is removed from the landfill gas. After the moisture is removed, it goes through a secondary treatment. The secondary treatment removes impurities. And at, at that point, the landfill gas can be used to generate electricity or as a medium BTU fuel to run some boilers or other equipment on site at a, at a landfill. This is what's typically been done with landfill gas. The higher use is to convert it into an RNG. And so that requires a third and advanced treatment. The third treatment removes the carbon dioxide, the nitrogen, the oxygen, and other volatile organic compounds 
from the gas. So it isolates out the methane and then they compress the methane into a high BTU gas that can be used to power a vehicle. And I know that if you, you know, if you go back to GFL's analyst day, they talk about the possibility of taking some of the landfill gas that they produce and using it to power some of their equipment, or it can be sold into a natural gas pipeline. There was a recent interview that Nick Stork gave where uh, he said that the purity of their methane is even greater than that of the methane that's in the pipeline of the natural gas pipelines that they're putting the, their RNG into. We look at the economics of a project. They often talk about a build multiple. The capex that's required for an RNG project is four times the projected EBITDA. So if you invert that, that gives you around a 25% unlevered IRR. What he has found is that because of the commercialization strategy that they have, where they contract presently 50% of their volume, that is going to go up to 70% in long-term contracts. That gives their lenders comfort to the point where if they finance these projects using project-level finance, they can get about 70% debt on them and 30% equity. The IRR is going to go up dramatically. Clearly, if unlevered, it's at 25% and they can lever them up at such a nice loan-to-value, you get really great returns. How much capital can you deploy into one of these projects? I'm trying to appreciate better how much it costs. Their largest agreement for projects that they've disclosed is with Republic Services, which is one of the leading landfill operators in the country. They formed a JV with them. There are 39 landfill gas currently in this JV. I think that more will come in over time. The capital that's going to be required to realize this is going to be $1.1 billion. 800 of it's coming from Archaea and 300 is coming from Republic. So they can deploy a substantial amount of capital. Like I said earlier, the economics are great for the landfill operators. They're going to get a royalty on top of the ownership of the JV. If you look at GFL's earnings calls, the CEO said that for him, these were 40% plus IRR projects and the best use of capital in his business. I'd be remiss not to ask as inevitably such high IRRs and returns on these projects attract incremental capital. What is it that differentiates the company and provides them with a barrier that doesn't allow a well-heeled private equity sponsor to usurp them? Private equity sponsors are coming into the game, but their secret sauce is most of the industry creates projects that are bespoke to each landfill. Arkea pre-builds their RNG facilities using a modular design. Most of the RNG projects are pre-built and they use interchangeable subcomponents and they're delivered to landfills on a flatbed truck and then put together on site. That's different from the rest of the industry. And using the modular design, they are able to create these RNG projects at a much lower cost than if you do it on a bespoke basis and they can put them together much quicker than their competitors. What they found is that their RNG projects have a much higher uptime than that of their competitors and they recover more methane. Given that process power seems to be important here, probably be helpful to learn a little bit more about the history of the company, how it was founded and who the major players are. Sure. 
The business was founded by Nick Stork, who's the CEO, and Richard Walton, who's currently the president. Both of these gentlemen entered their careers in the investment industry before ultimately buying a landfill and trying to operate it. When they turned from investors to operators, they learned how challenging running a landfill could be, and particularly with respect to the compliance regarding the landfill gas. Given those challenges, they saw an opportunity in RNG. They went out for bids with contractors to build an RNG facility on their landfill. They found the bids to be quite expensive and the development time to be quite long. And so they ended up building their own site with an internal team that came in around half the cost of their bids in less time. They recognized that that could turn into a nice business. Brian McCarthy, full disclosure, is a good friend of mine. He joined as CFO. He joined from Salt and Stall, which is a very old multifamily office in Boston. They have several decades of experience in investing in energy. Salt and Stall and the Rice family invested in Arkea. Shortly after joining, Brian created the commercialization strategy in which they would contract a majority of their volume to creditworthy counterparties over a long period of time. In April of 21, Arkea combined with Aria Energy, which was a RNG company that was owned by Aries Management. The combined Arkea Aria entity went public via a SPAC that was created by the Rice family. Interesting to note, there's been a lot of companies that went public via SPAC. I own a couple in my portfolio, this being one of them, and there's no SPAC carry in this one, which is on the rarer side. The economics that management and the SPAC sponsor are getting are just from their outright ownership of the stock. How do you think about the size of this opportunity? I think there's something like 25, 2,600 landfills in the US. Presumably, you have other areas in North America, Europe. What is the size and scope of this business potentially? There are 2,600 municipal solid waste landfills in the US. 20% of them have existing landfill gas to energy projects which include both renewable electricity and then RNG projects. It's worth noting that the electricity sites could ultimately be converted to an RNG site. If you exclude that 20%, that gives you 2,100 remaining sites with no existing project. Around 500 of those sites are likely good candidates for RNG projects. The criteria to make something a good candidate would be first, is there sufficient landfill gas volumes being generated by the site? And then second, is that landfill close, call it within three miles to a natural gas pipeline that you can tap into to sell the RNG through? Currently, there's 74 million million BTUs of RNG supply. If you look at the 10 publicly announced mandates to source RNG over the next five to 10 years, the demand for it is expected to be two and a half times the current supply. Examples would be the California Public Utility Commission putting in place state-imposed mandates, National Grid, which is a electricity producer in the Northeast, voluntarily wants to increase their RNG consumption. If you look at that demand increase two and a half times the current demand, there are only a handful of producers that can produce substantial volumes in the short future. And I think that both bodes well for Arkea as well as eliminates too much concerns about competition. There's only a handful of people that can do it. The key is to lock up the supply with the landfill operators. The demand is going to be there. 
as this industry matures over time, conceivably every landfill that is eligible for this types of capture will have it. Where is Europe in doing something comparable? Is it relevant there yet? I don't know. I don't follow the waste industry in Europe as closely as I do in the U.S. I think there's so much opportunity in the U.S. that Europe is probably a high-quality problem to have in the future. If you look at Archaea right now, they have 88 projects that are announced. They'll probably commission 20 of those 88 projects in 2023. Those 88 projects are expected to contribute $600 million a year in annual EBITDA. And for this industry, EBITDA is very close to free cash flow. So about 5% of EBITDA would be used in maintenance capex. These businesses generate substantial tax credits, so they're not going to be paying taxes in the intermediate future and then whatever interest payments you have. I'm trying to appreciate the free cash flow conversion relative to the capital layout. Are they not the ones that are funding the initial CapEx? Or is it just that maintenance CapEx, once CapEx is deployed, is de minimis? The latter. Archaea is funding a good chunk of the CapEx, not all of it. Their landfill partners fund a bit too, but maintenance CapEx is fairly de minimis after it's deployed. To get to the $600 million of EBITDA that they're expecting from these 88 projects, it's going to take about $1.9 billion of capital from Archaea. Some of that has already been spent this year. So it is a substantial capital outlay. And are these projects typically financed on a project finance basis, or is the company constantly raising capital? The company may not need to raise any more capital. The company does have some company-level debt. They've got a $1.1 billion debt facility, of which 500 of that is in use. To get to the $1.9 billion of capital that they need to deploy over the next, call it five years, they have $600 million in debt that they can pull down. And then they're going to have the free cash flow from existing projects and from projects that they're building out. I'm certain that they're not going to need to raise any more equity. If they needed to raise any more capital to deploy into these projects, it should be likely done on a project basis. What does the competition look like? Presumably, if I own or operate a landfill, I have the ability to contract with whomever. Are there other competitors that offer a like solution? Who are they going up against? So Montauk Renewables is a big one. They're about the same size as Arkea, but they don't have the same commercialization strategy. They're mostly operating in the spot market. There's another company, Opal. Kinder Morgan bought a few RNG facilities over the last 15 months, but it's de minimis to them. It's about 2% of their EBITDA. Waste management, which is the largest landfill operator, is going to do it internally. Their landfills are kind of off the table at this point. But who does that leave you with that's left? It leaves you with Waste Connections, Republic, GFL. The Republic entered into a substantial JV with them. It's 39 projects. Republic already has some contracts with other operators, but those contracts at some point will expire. And it'll be interesting to see once those contracts expire, if new landfills enter into the JV that Republic has. And then if you look at GFL, they've been very vocal about wanting to deploy capital in this space. They've said that they are evaluating a couple partners. But if you have some eagle eyes and you read Arkea's 10K, they reference a JV with a landfill operator, and the JV is called Saturn Renewables. And if you look at the location of that JV and go to Google, the landfill operator in that town is GFL. They have an established JV with GFL, and 
I would expect that we would see some nice announcements that would go Arkea's way. But let's take it back to their existing business. If Arkea never won another project, they still have the ability with the existing 88 projects that are announced to get to 600 million a year of EBITDA. And they think that that $600 million a year is the downside case. There are several ways for them within the current 88 project base to get that over a billion. One way they would do that would be carbon sequestration. They can capture the carbon that's produced when they generate and clean landfill gas. And if they sequester that, they're eligible for a federal tax credit called a 45Q credit which is probably worth about $1.50 per million BTU. There's some substantial value there. Additionally, on projects that don't generate a sufficient volume to have an RNG project, they're working on clean hydrogen projects. Lower volumes of landfill gas would be appropriate for generating clean hydrogen. Both on clean hydrogen and the carbon sequestration, they're probably about two years from projects positively impacting their financials. They can also go to a lot of the existing projects that they have and enhance the well field within the landfills, which would allow them to generate more production. I'm pretty excited about it. If they can get to $600 million to $1 billion of EBITDA a year without winning another project, that's compelling. The company's trading at a $2.5 billion enterprise value right now. So if I look at the revenue generating opportunities here, given the broader interest in renewables, carbon sequestration, and an evolution towards cleaner energy, the business case seems rather obvious. But there are obviously risks here inherent in their business model. What are the key risks for a business like this? When I first started looking at it, I thought there was new technology risk. I was mistaken. There's not any new technology risk because the company is not using a new technology to clean out the landfill gas to generate the RNG. All they're doing is using existing technology with some slight tweaks and perhaps some better execution. So that technology risk is off the table. There's obviously price risk and cash flow risk. The D3 RIN market is highly volatile. Same with the LCFS credits, but the company mitigated this as well. 50% of their volume is contracted through long-term fixed-price contracts with creditworthy counterparties. That's going to go up to 70%. That risk is off the table. You have supply chain risk. That's certainly a risk that investors and businesses are learning about post-COVID. There's certainly inflation risk. The company is dealing with this by having an upfront bulk ordering program that started in the summer of 21. I think that they could benefit from inflation because even their long-term fixed-price contracts have some inflation escalators. There's regulatory risk. The government can say that they don't longer care if transportation is made with renewable energy, and that could kill the D3 rent market. Or a state could say that they no longer care if their electricity is produced with renewable fuels. But if one state decides that they don't care about that anymore, that doesn't mean that every other state is not going to care. Additionally, their fixed price contracts have no regulatory outs. Even if every state said, we don't care about having renewable natural fuels, the parties that they've entered into these contracts with will still have to buy renewable natural gas from Arkea for the next five to 20 years. I think that the competitors can copy their process. And I know that Arkea is working on some patents right now, but they won't tell you what, what they're going to patent, what part of their process. Now, let's just assume that competitors can copy 
the, the modular design. Competitors are building RNG plants. They're bespoke, but let's say they can copy the modular design. From what I hear, the advanced treatment part is, is quite difficult from an execution standpoint. It's not an easy, it's not an easy thing to do, but people are doing it. There's other RNG plants out there. I just think that they've got the supply locked up, a, a good chunk of supply locked up. They have enough projects signed up to get them to 600 million or a billion dollars of EBITDA. I think that that provides enough margin of safety to me to not really have to worry about the competition too much. So when you're evaluating a business like this, clearly it's a unique situation in which you have a company that's doing something that's good for the environment, it has that ESG halo, but also a highly compelling economic model. What are the lessons that you've learned from studying this business from an investor's perspective? And then if you consider their business case, what have they done as operators that you think can be applied to other industrial businesses today? There's certainly some new lessons that I learned, as well as there's some old lessons that I've learned from other companies that have applied in my analysis of Arkea. Let's start with the new lessons. The first lesson, which I already spoke about, is new applications of a technology can produce new uses or a wider spread adoption of that technology without incurring new technology risk. That was a key lesson that I learned in analyzing the business and spending time on it. The next lesson is that the commercialization strategy can have a material impact on other parts of the business. As an example, a high percentage of the business's revenue is in long-term contracts. That's going to make Arkea's revenue and free cash flow more durable. That makes the investment safer from an equity perspective, as well as for a debt investor into the business. That allows them to take on a higher level of debt on the projects and do so at a lower price. As far as old lessons that I applied, one interesting business is the Boston Beer Company. I spent some time learning about that business throughout the years. Jim Koch, the founder of Boston Beer Company, when he was a consultant, I believe, at BCG, he told people that he wanted to enter the beer business. He didn't receive too many positive responses. In fact, he received a lot of reasons from people why he would fail. Instead of getting upset with the people that gave him negative feedback, he just wrote down all the reasons why people told him that he would fail. And he only left BCG and started Boston Beer Company when he found a way to mitigate all of the reasons why people told him that he would fail. I think in this case, Arkea has done a great job in mitigating the risks. The next lesson that I applied is that government regulations can create complexity and that complexity creates opportunities particularly when you have several layers of government regulations. Well, Chad, thank you for joining us. This is a unique and really special business. It'll be really fascinating to watch its evolution as it deploys capital into these facilities and monetizes their LFG. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I enjoy the podcast. <laughs> so, Chad, we, we recorded this last week. Little did we know BP would announce a deal to buy Arkea on Monday morning. What's your reaction to the news? Well, I have mixed emotions about it. I definitely think that BP is getting a good deal. I, as an investor, was keen on watching my investment thesis play out over years. And I think this business could have been worth much more than the takeout price, given the price that BP is buying it. It is slightly under the valuation that 
Kinder Morgan paid for some landfill gas assets, you know, assets that I've heard is not as good a quality as, as Arkea. So I wonder if this announcement starts a competitive bidding process where maybe Kinder Morgan wants to increase the size of their landfills gas business from what I believe is about 3% of their current EBITDA is something larger. They certainly have the balance sheet to do this deal pretty easily. There's some other players out there. Brookfield Renewable Partners is deploying money into the space. It's well known that they are investing into the transition to renewable energy. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I don't know if today's news is going to be the last news that we see. But if you look industry, kind of more industry-wide to their partners, I think it does give a bit of a value for some of the landfill gas assets that are on Republic's balance sheets and GFL's balance sheets. GFL, I know a little bit better, the, the underlying business. And they said that they expect within a couple of years, these landfill gas projects to generate 125 to 150 million in unlevered free cash flow annually. And if you go back to GFL's analysts say in May, you know, while they have given a $125 to $150 a year estimate for these projects, they also noted that their internal goals for these projects are to generate $175 million to $200 million a year in free cash flow. And so they know the business pretty well. And I would, I would take their internal numbers to heart, you know, a little bit more than their public estimates. So if these businesses should start hitting GFL's financial statements in the second half of 23 and hopefully finish being deployed in the first half of 24. And so if you look at the, the transaction value that BP is paying for IKEA, $4.1 billion EV, if you, if you look at the free cash flow multiple that that implies going out to the, the latter half of 23, the beginning, beginning of 24, for IKEA's projections, that's about 15 times free cash flow is what BP is paying. So apply that to the $200 million internal estimate from GFL, and that gets you to about $8 Canadian per share or five, around $5 per share U.S. dollars of, of value to GFL, and their stock price today is a little above $25. If I was a GFL shareholder, I think that would give me some comfort that there's some hidden value in the GFL opportunity. To find more episodes of Breakdowns ranging from Costco to Visa to Moderna, or to sign up for our weekly summary, check out joincolossus.com. That's J-O-I-N-C-O-L-O-S-S-U-S dot com.